And so that's really what I'm looking for is do they like them and do I like them? Because if three or four of us meet the person, we all like the person, probably the clients will like them, their colleagues will like them. So I look for number one, likability. Number two, I look for intelligence. It's the kind of industry where you have to choose between experience and intelligence. To me, that's an easy decision. I'd always take smarts. You know, it's like in sports, they say you can't teach size or speed or whatever. You can't teach someone how to be smart. If you get someone who is likable and smart, they can gain experience. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Sam Rust. Joining us today is Michael Feldman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Choice New York Companies, which provides an array of third-party real estate services such as property management, building staffing, and residential brokerage on medium to large-scale buildings in New York City, real estate capital of the world. Uh, Michael focuses his day-to-day activities on business acquisitions, brand awareness, staff recruitment, talent retention, and client advisory engagements. Prior to co-founding Choice New York Management, he was a managing director at AFC Capital, a boutique commercial real estate investment bank. Michael, thanks for taking time. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Let's go. So I'm curious, Michael, a lot of folks uh, get into real estate through different paths. But as I was expanding on your bio, you started in commercial lending or just in lending in general, and then moved to property management. Property management is known, at least in a lot of the multifamily circles that I'm in, is a very labor-intensive business um, that maybe doesn't provide the same return as being a principal. I'm curious why you made that shift. That's not a a traditional shift that I see in someone's career path. Yeah. Well, I actually, after college, lived in Los Angeles for a few years and I was in the movie business behind the camera doing location scout, location managing on major major films, mostly for Sony. That's a lot of logistics. It's what I would term high volume task management. And to me, if you look across the array of various services out there on the real estate side of things, brokerage, mortgage brokerage, development, sales. Certainly, you're right. Property management is the least sexy. But when I was out in the movie business, got the chance to at least meet and get to know. uh, I got to meet probably half the A-list stars and got to be friendly with a few of them. And the wealthiest person I ever met by far out there was in the parking lot business because you needed them to rent the spots. And this guy dressed like a total schlub, as we would say here in uh, Yiddish in New York. And um, it was worth about 4 billion bucks. The sexier the business, the more competition. And so from my standpoint, the movie business in LA, the real estate business in Midtown Manhattan, those are two pretty sexy businesses, which, you know, when you get, get into the weeds, of course, has very little glamour, like every business. And so I just like the idea, a little less competitive state uh, space, but it was, um, you know, sometimes a little naivety is good because it is actually, there are some very formidable competitors here in New York and nationally, but especially as you you scale up. But yeah, that was part of the thinking. And mostly though, the truth is uh, that's all kind of a, a facade for the fact that I had been laid off in 2008 after uh, Lehman and um, the CMBS mark really doing, um, you know, I was flying out around the country and signing small, you know, limited service hoteliers up. And uh, they thought we were in New York and we'd sign them up and then just forward emails from Midtown to Wall Street. Um, And that worked great until it kind of imploded. So we were, I was found myself sort of at the epicenter of of, uh, the CMBS great recession of 2009 was young guy getting married and stuff. And so I figured I better do something else and, and property management to me seemed like a good, attractive concept for what I just described. Yeah, I guess it worked out. 
I was wondering about that because you started your company in 2009, spring of 2009. Necessity is the mother of invention. Right. You're trying to figure out how to provide for your family. What was that like starting a property management company you know, right after Lehman Brothers in New York City? And what was the growth trajectory? Obviously, the business is pretty substantial today, you know, but we're 13 years later. It's rarely linear. At what point did you start gaining traction? Great question. I mean, you know, there were certain, certainly inflection points uh, along the way. It's not linear, like you said. But I think to your first question, one thing that happened in general, broadly speaking, with the property management spaces, when I would go on proposals and 2010, 2011, people would say 3%. 3%, obviously, the numbers are, are a little bit bigger here. So why would I pay 3%? Just all you do is deposit the checks, pay the bills, and you know answer a few calls from tenants. There's nothing to it. Now, you never hear anyone say that because it's gotten so much more complex, so much more financially oriented. The expectations of the consumer are higher than ever, as they should be. And um, you know, just hearkening back kind of to the early years of the industry of property management sort of was born in the 1960s with third party. It's really, it used to be the the proverbial fat guy with some ketchup and mustard on his white t-shirt living in his uh, mother's basement, you know, with a mop. And it just continued to, from those early beginnings to become a more and more professional industry. You know, technology certainly been a major enabler of that. But yeah, in terms of the growth of our business, it was really tough. That's the short version, I guess I could expand, but really tough, but, uh, you know, just kind of stuck with it. And a lot of times I think people quit too soon, whether it's, you know, personal or professional. And I just persevered and ups and downs. And sometimes you go two feet forward. Some days you go, you know, a step back. You know, it was painful because I hadn't had, I, I wouldn't necessarily endorse doing it the way we did it, you know, where most people come from a large property management company. They have technical knowledge. I didn't even know how to bake the cake. And so, you know, that was hard. But positive on that is that you learn how to do everything yourself. So every job here I've done. And there's a certain kind of intercom that comes from from knowing you you didn't take any shortcuts and you kind of took the long way, you know, but there's a comfort in that. You take your lumps as they come, but sometimes naivete is helpful. I know you alluded to it earlier. It's, it's helpful to not know what you don't know. You also don't come with preconceived notions and property management has changed a lot over the last 13 years. I think it's going to evolve even more over the next five as technology continues to integrate in. You mentioned something that I want to touch on a little bit further, um, persistence and perseverance. Like Those are two really key attributes of any entrepreneur that's going to be successful because there's going to be difficulty. It's never going to be a straight line from beginning to end. What do you attribute your persistence, your company's success um, in overcoming those obstacles to? Is there habits that you have personally? Is there ethos that as an organization you tried to foster? What led to that continued grind? I think a lot of it is born, not bred, to be candid, where you know, I see it here with our staff and some ambitious people who worked here. And now I call them my boss because they're doing real estate development. And it's great to see. It's really takes a, a lot of pride in, in their growth. I don't even think you have to be passionate about what you do or really love what you do. To be candid, I don't, I've never loved real estate, but I love running a business and um, I'm passionate about being successful. And I think if you're passionate about being successful, that's where the perseverance comes from because otherwise it's tough. I was getting up. I don't do this anymore. But for many years when the business was, it was a question whether it was even sustainable, you know, I would say first eight, nine years, 
2015, I, I mean, we lost money. I mean, so I think, you know, if you're getting up at five o'clock, 5.15 in the morning, every single day, Sometimes I'd sleep in till 5.30, my alarm, so that when it goes off in the morning, the first thing I would see, would, it would say a message. So if I was stressed out about Sam, it would say, solve Sam. And so, you know, whatever the biggest problem was, swallow the frog, whatever the proverbial phrase you want to apply, I just always just tried to attack the problems and... Uh, you know, start with the big problem. And, and I would think about my competition and, and what they were doing. And if they were up earlier than me, I mean, those are the kinds of ruminations that help compel you to, I trained my bladder to not have to use the restroom for 12 hours straight. Uh, my wife would cut my food for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She'd breakfast, lunch, and dinner and cut my food. So I wouldn't have to spend time cutting it. You know, it's, it's midtown Manhattan, New York city. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any relationships. I didn't have any experience. I didn't have a business plan other than to just provide great service. So, you know, how are you going to make up for that? Everyone's smart. Everyone's formidable. Everyone's super well-educated here. So it's kind of the major league. So you have to find a competitive edge. And for me, that was property management side. First and foremost, If I, I knew if I worked longer than the other people, and I know that doesn't sound, uh, you know, I, I just think there's a big gap between most entrepreneurs, real entrepreneurs, what it takes to be successful and what your sort of the national perspective is on what an entrepreneur is. The, the real entrepreneurs, people don't see those hours. They just see them out, you know, making a speech or talking on some podcast. That's not where rubber meets the road, I guess you could say to me. I think there's a, this idea from a lot of mainstream business literature that, hey, entrepreneurs live the best life, they're freedom, flexible, you know, all those things. And think even of books like 4-Hour Workweek, right? And, and not diminishing the concepts that are in that book, but at the same time, it seems like there's almost a shift away from the valuing of just really hard work. In many ways, there isn't a shortcut. I mean, look, it, it's obviously those books have to be provocative, right? Otherwise, how are they going to sell? So if you called it the 40-hour work week, it's not very sexy. And Tim is obviously listened to the book. I've read the book I've, you know, from good to great. I, I mean, there's always something I take from all those books, but from good to great, it was like getting the not just the right person, the right person in the right seat. I've seen that play out multiple times where you have the right person, they're just not in the right job. And then you move them into the right seat. And all of a sudden they go from floundering to flourishing, you know, four hour work week. I mean, his business was a software business. That's good for him. You know, I'd love to have a software business, but it wasn't where I ended up. You know, the property management business is a time intensive business in general. And you throw it in, you know, New York, real estate, third party, a lot of smaller buildings to start a growth company during a bad economy, you know, doing multifamily. That, that's quite a cocktail of for uh, a lot of hours. You mentioned that you've had multiple experiences with an employee that was in the wrong seat. You move them and they go from floundering to flourishing. Do you have a story that you could share that dives into that a little bit? I mean, I, want, I remember this woman, Nicole, she ended up going and working for uh, one of our clients uh, for many years, which worked out nicely for both parties. But, um, you know, she was struggling. And then all of a sudden, within a very short period of time, two or three weeks, she seemed like a different person. And we had moved her, you know, laterally. And you also hear the same thing. People say, you know, you know, oh, Nicole can solve that problem. And that that's something I always tell that particularly people can't say young people, but people earlier on in their career is you don't have to worry about getting the credit, the recognition. If you put your head down and focus on that, what will happen invariably is the following. First, you'll know you're, you're kicking butt because you, who's going to know quicker than you will? 
Then people you work with closely will start noticing. But sooner or later, cream always rises to the top. You may not be on your timeline if you're an ambitious young buck or, or doe, so to speak, but it will happen. You know, when I was in the movie business, you'd meet people, they would say, you know, I just need one break. You know, I'm, I've been acting for 20 years and I can't catch a break. And then I'd see them audition and be like, oh gosh, they're total dearth of talent. But the reason they, they can't catch a break is because they're not good. And then you'd meet someone and, you know, they'd be humble and they would have just gotten off the boat, so to speak. And I turn on the TV now and I see them on TV or I see them on Netflix. And it's because they were really good. You know, Hollywood, it's not a matter of luck. It really isn't to me. I mean, it, it sounds nice. A lot of people in similar positions to maybe you or me or very successful people will, will, will say it's luck. That's like a, a humble brag. It's an easy way to kind of, you know, people don't want to share their secrets of how they got so successful. So it's not luck that the people on TV or the people you're seeing, it's not chance. They're the most talented people. And the Hollywood is very good at finding that talent. It's the same thing. That's an industry that's known for the opposite, right? That there's this like, oh, it's so hard. You have to know someone. It really isn't. If you look at most of the A-list stars, they didn't know people. I mean, some of them did, but some of them didn't. That's the ultimate industry of saying, oh, well, it's luck. And I'm saying it's not luck in that industry where I was in. And so it's certainly not luck in property management or real estate, whether you you make it or not. If you think it is, that that's just an easy excuse for your lack of success. Part of building an organization like yours is identifying that talent. Um, and that's one of your main roles at your company is building out teams. And that and really property management is about the people. So how do you, what are some things that you've found through your career, through building this business that were helpful in identifying talent, acquiring talent, retaining talent? Yeah, well, I mean, you said it. I was just at Brookfield's office, one of the biggest institutions institutional real estate companies in the world, right? And this probably a $3,000 suit asked me, summarize your service in one word. It's the easiest possible question because I just said people. It might sound cheesy. It might sound cliche. The numbers back it up. 87 cents of every dollar we spend is on people. You know, payroll, employer burden. 68 cents of every dollar we make is on employee burden. I just told the whole your whole listenership, my mar- profit margin. But um, I spend a half a day, almost at least two or three hours every single week interviewing people. And I do that regardless of whether we're looking to hire someone or not. I think it's the single most important thing I do. When you're talking about, I first bifurcate a hustle and a business, right? You're a real estate agent and you need to, everyone needs to hustle. So, you know, semantics notwithstanding, but you're, you're a real estate agent. You need to make the phone ring. And you wake up and you don't know where your next commission is coming from. That's a hustle. When you're a real estate agent and you know you've got so many deals in the hopper, you know there some will close, some might fall through. That's a business where you're not waking up saying, how am I going to make money? You're waking up saying, how much money am I going to make? So for me, I always tried to look at it that way, even when it was hard, when it didn't exist. It really became the kind of thing where I got a call yesterday morning and the developer called and she said, um, I heard you guys are the best for these 421A tax abatement, new construction, multifamily rentals. And I said, where'd you get our name from? And she said, multiple people. My marketing cost was zero. My sales cost was zero. My PR was zero. It was a service. If you have great people, I mean, look, systems and processes, software's all important. I'm not saying it's not. It is important. But ultimately, 
especially on think any business, but any professional service business doing asset management or construction management or plumbing company or mortgage brokerage or whatever side of the world you are in real estate, it really does come down to the people. And so we try to hire the best people. The Obviously, the biggest component of that is the pay, is the compensation, why people spend so much time talking about other things. They, that stuff does matter, but you know they kind of gloss over the most important part, which is the comp. And then, yeah, the culture definitely... I think matters more from a retention standpoint than a recruitment standpoint. But yeah, I guess I view it as more important than any proposal for new business because if you hire great people, they just make everything so easy. You're interviewing people on a very regular basis. Do you have specific trait or two that you really hone in on trying to identify? I know that some of that is role dependent, but is there anything in particular that you're trying to sleuth out? So I actually, we have a first, we have in-house recruiters, two of them. They happen to be very nice people to meet presentation-wise. Their job is really just to ask very generic questions. And the only thing I asked them to do, I said, just Google generic interview questions. If you like them, put them to the second round. If you don't like them, don't. And so that's really what I'm looking for is, do they like them and do I like them? Because if three or four of us meet the person, we all like the person, probably the clients will like them, their colleagues will like them. So I look for number one, likability. Number two, I look for intelligence. It's the kind of industry where you have to choose between experience and intelligence. And obviously without, you know, certainly there's a value to experience. I don't want to say we're not looking to hire very experienced people either, but often the budget provides that we have to choose between intelligence and experience. And to me, that's an easy decision. I'd always take smarts. You know, it's like in sports, they say you can't teach size or speed or whatever. You can't teach someone how to be smart. If you get someone who is likable and smart, they can gain experience. I'm curious, at what point did you bring on an in-house recruiter? What headcount were you guys at? I think it was when we spent about $200,000 on outsource recruiters. So I don't know, it was a headcount. It was just started making financial sense relatively recently within the last few years, but we found it effective because it just saves. Interviewing does, it is time consuming. So it does sort of streamline it for us. It's cost effective to have them in-house. And yeah, I think we probably were around 200 people when, when we did that. Now we're around 300, I think. You can spend a boatload of money on recruiters who've been talking to a couple and getting proposals. And it doesn't take long before you can pay somebody a very healthy salary to go out and find talent for you. Yeah. I mean, there's pros and cons, you know, without saying anything uncouth about our staff who I adore. You know, an outsourced recruiter can be very effective too for certain types of engagements. Certainly. Well, Michael, as we're getting ready to wrap up, what's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? It may be something we've already touched on, but uh, just curious if you were to distill it down. I think just looking in the mirror and wanting to be successful really badly. I didn't have any, I mean, I certainly had some benefits. I won the uterine lottery in opinion, but being born in this country when I was born and certain qualities of, for the most part, is just drive. Awesome. Well, if folks want to get in touch, learn more about what you're doing in real estate um, and where you're headed next, where can folks contact you? Uh, Michael.Feldman at choicenewyork.com. Sort of a mouthful. Michael.Feldman at choice, like you choose, New York. Spelled out. I don't like acronyms.com. And or my main, my direct office line, 646-402-6412. Fantastic. Well, Michael, thanks for giving us your time and some of your expertise. Thank you to our listeners for joining us. It's been another episode of the Real Estate Syndication Show. I'm your host, Sam Rust, signing off. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start in investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.